Hey everybody, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover and I'm fiercely passionate about living a disciplined life so I can avoid living with the pain of regret. Today's episode is a juxtaposition to last week's episode about our inner dialogue and the content today is a bit heavy in that I'm going to both challenge and encourage you to challenge your identity which is to say taking a long, hard look at your evolving story, the narrative of your past that defines you, or at the very least, the one that you allow to continually define you. According to the theory of narrative identity, researcher and scholar Dr. Dan McAdams asserts that we form our identity by integrating our life experiences into an internalized, evolving story of ourselves, which allows us to give a sense of purpose and meaning to our lives. This story links together our reconstructed past, our perceived present, and our imagined future. Interestingly, all three coexist at the same time and are holistic and co-occurring. Said differently, they're not separated or linear. In fact, what you perceive about the present and your imagined future is dictated by the quote, facts from your past. And I use air quotes around facts because our memories of our past are reconstructions of what we remember from and about our past. They're memories that can be true or real, but they are also potentially faulty and or embellished. Now, this isn't to suggest that they aren't real, but rather they're reconstructions that allow us to make sense of them. And they're inextricably linked to the story or narratives we tell ourselves, and they continually evolve based on current and present experiences in addition to how we envision ourselves in the future. And while the actual facts about our past are unchanging, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves can and do absolutely change. I warned you, this content's heavy. As a starting point, ask yourself the following questions. Number one, is the current story about myself serving me? And this answer should be fairly obvious if we're honest with ourselves. The answer, of course, is yes. We wouldn't keep telling the same story if it wasn't allowing us to realize some type or kind of payoff. This could take the form of getting attention from others who are willing to commiserate with us, or we find some misguided martyrdom in overcoming the odds every time we overcome our dysfunctional past. No matter the reason, when we do something, we get something out of it. Otherwise, we would do something else. The second question, is this the story I want to tell? The answer to this is less obvious. Now, if we're gaining a measure of satisfaction and or attention, then the answer is yes. I was going to use the word fulfillment in place of satisfaction, but fulfillment isn't the right word because it's almost impossible to be fulfilled in the presence of dysfunction. If, and if we want to perpetuate pain and misery, we'll keep telling ourselves the same story, hoping for some type of different result, maybe even trying to pursue fulfillment, knowing that that's really unattainable. We may even tell the same story in the hopes of being validated by others. After all, much of who you believe yourself to be is based on the stories or narratives you tell yourself or have told yourself enough to allow you to believe them. Maybe they were stories told by adults in your life that you adopted. And most of the stories from our past come from hurt, pain, or trauma where we didn't have someone present to help us cope. If we had, that person would have, would have helped us form those experiences or reframe those experiences for what they 
what they are, and they're potentially positive and powerful. For example, as I've gotten older, I've reflected on past pain and trauma, and what's fascinating is I can look on those events and experiences with gratitude, and that's somewhat surprising. Because most people, including myself to a, uh, to a certain point, most people really, really struggle looking back on those negative experiences and you know, even conceiving that we can be grateful for them. And if we have the courage to be able to do that, then we can arrive at some measure of gratitude for having those experiences because those experiences have helped shape who and what we are today. The obvious challenge with failing to be grateful for past experiences, and make no mistake, there are plenty of reasons people uh, have or choose, plenty of reasons why they choose not to view these negative experiences through the lens of gratitude, is that people see what's missing. Fundamentally, that's a mindset of lack. It's what author Dan Sullivan calls the gap in his book, The Gap and the Gain, The High Achiever's Guide to Happiness, Confidence, and Success. Sullivan asserts that in order to change the story we tell ourselves about what's missing, he refers to that as the gap, we need to reframe our mindset from a negative one to a positive one. For example, let's say you bought a gift for someone and their response was something like, you didn't get me the one I liked. Right there, that's the gap. That's an identification of what's missing, where the recipient focused on what they didn't get above and beyond the fact that they they lack the recognition or appreciation for the thoughtfulness that went into buying the gift. They didn't appreciate that you may have went out of your way to buy that for them or that you worked really hard to earn the money to get them the gift. The receiver focused on what they didn't get or what's missing or what could have been instead of focusing on what they gained. Sullivan's research shows that most people live in the gap. They only see what's missing. They live in a world of lack rather than abundance. Now let me shift gears here and, and reframe this discussion, this, the story we tell ourselves in the context of goal setting. When it comes to goal setting, we, we, uh, we have to set an aim and that aim becomes an ideal and the ideal we have for ourselves or the ideal that we have for our lives is our highest aim. The challenge to that though is when, when we compare ourselves to our ideal. The renowned psychoanalyst Carl Jung and more contemporarily Dr. Jordan Peterson talked about the reality that our ideal is our ideal, excuse me, is a judge. And it's a pretty strict judge at that. Our ideal is our highest aim, as I previously mentioned. And when we acknowledge that we haven't achieved it, or we recognize the chasm between where we are and the achievement of our ideal, we end up telling ourselves that we can never live up to it. This is particularly unhelpful because we're constantly reminding ourselves of our failures. It becomes the story that we tell about failure and lack. And going back to the questions I asked, is the current story about myself serving me? And is this the story I wanna tell? This gets particularly noisy for us because we're not, we're not anywhere close to achieving our ideal. Perhaps a more effective way to 
change or retell the story we tell ourselves is to compare ourselves to who and what we've been rather than comparing ourselves to our ideal or even anybody else. It really emphasizes the progress towards the goal rather than the achievement of the goal. So we can actually measure step by step along the way rather than having this this thing sitting out there that we may view as ultimately unattainable and constantly compare ourselves to that and live in a world of lack or view ourselves as failures. And if nothing else, drawing a comparison to who and what we've been is minimally an apples to apples comparison. Comparing ourselves to our, our ideal or to anybody else clearly is apples to oranges. We, we don't have to we don't have to tell ourselves or give ourselves constant reminders of what we're not living up to. Or we don't have to give ourselves constant reminders of the moving target when we compare ourselves to other people. So looking at it this way can be the first way we shift our mindset that allows us to begin changing the narrative we've crafted for ourselves. Another way, which I'm kind of doubling down on the goal setting piece, is is looking at this and saying, okay, I understand that an ideal is a goal. Clearly, that's true. But when we set more realistic goals, it allows us to move beyond simply achieving the personification of the, the greatest thing we can think of and really breaking it down into its constituent parts. So realistic and attainable goals that stretch us allow for an accurate comparison of who and what we've been relative to who and what we want to become or what we want to accomplish. For example, uh, I recently started writing a novel. I started writing a novel at the end of September and I have the first draft done and never in my wildest imagination did I ever think that I would write a novel. And it's about 60,000 words. It should come in somewhere between 65 and 70,000 words. And when I tell people I've done that, they're like, oh my gosh, that just seems overwhelming. Well, how I thought about this is I write about 1,000 words an hour. And looking at the end result being roughly 60 to 70,000 words, to me, that's roughly 60 to 70 hours. And then when you break that down even further, that's just that's two or three days worth of writing. Now, obviously not continually, but it's only two or three days of writing. And breaking it down still further to say, okay, a thousand words an hour, I'm going to devote one hour a day and, and hit that goal and really ground in the progress I'm making towards that goal rather than ultimately achieving the goal. So it, what, what goal setting does, it, it allows us to pay selective attention to what we're aiming at. In this case, I was aiming at a thousand words an hour, writing at least an hour a day. And for context, selective attention is the ability to select and preferentially process information while simultaneously suppressing the processing of irrelevant or competing distractions. In lay terms, we notice or pay attention to the things that matter to us. And if you have a goal, and when we place our attention on progressing toward the achievement of that goal, we're better able to minimize distractions, namely the old narratives we've been telling ourselves. 
Please note that I made specific reference to the progress we make towards the goal rather than the actual achievement of the goal because very often we experience uh, it's some type of emotional letdown or subsequent disappointment when we actually achieve the goal. Another way of saying that is very often we, we have such an emotional attachment toward the achievement of the goal. Whenever we get there, it's just not as fulfilling as how we, uh, how we you know, formulated this in our minds. And we, we build this up so much that ultimately the achievement of the goal doesn't live up to our expectations. Probably a better way of saying that. And when this happens, we stay in, in this mindset of lack and focus on what's missing. In this case, the fulfillment of having achieved the goal. That's what Sullivan would call the gap. But emphasizing progress about what we're learning along the way allows for the possibility of shifting our mindset towards abundance. It allows us to make an accurate comparison of who and what we're becoming relative to who and what we've been. And with thoughtful consideration, it also allows us to reinterpret our histories or our past narratives. And just like we have the power to denigrate the character or the avatar we've created for ourselves in our past stories, we have the power to paint a new canvas and or rewrite our histories using the knowledge and the insights we gain to help us define how far we've come. This is what it means to have gratitude for our past experiences, however painful, debilitating, or traumatic. It also allows us to take a look at our past and, and really who and what we were in our past and look at that version of ourselves with compassion and not with contempt. A final approach for moving from lack to abundance or moving from gap to gain is getting more information about how and why we compose the stories that we, that we did. For example, here's a strategy you may employ. Make a list of three to five things that negatively impacted your life and gather as much information as you can about how and why each occurred. What you may need to do is ultimately talk to people that were uh, at least close enough to the situation to help you provide context around why those events or experiences occurred. From there, list the benefits and challenges that were embedded in each of those three to five things. The former, of course, will be much harder than the latter. From there, make note about how each has shaped your life, how each has shaped the, your narrative, the story that you've told yourself. Finally, ask yourself, if I looked at each event or experience differently, how would that change how would that change my story? How, at least, how would, how would that change how I've thought about the story that I've constructed for myself? So when we look at each event or experience differently, then that allows us or at least enough opportunity to be able to reframe the story that we've told ourselves. Another question is, how would it change how I feel about other people? Very often, the pain and trauma that we've experienced from our past were uh, directly or indirectly caused by other people. So as, I'm, as you're starting to reframe this from lack to abundance, from gap to gain, really consider how, 
how changing this mindset uh, would affect how I, how I think about other people. Another question is, have I grown from the experiences? If we're willing to look back on our experiences with gratitude, then we can point to yes in answering that question. We can absolutely do that because we, there's a recognition that we wouldn't be who we are today. We wouldn't have grown into the person that we are today without those past experiences. And answering these questions honestly will allow us to rewrite the stories we've been telling ourselves. Keep in mind that doing this work isn't easy. It's, in fact, it's extraordinarily difficult. It's not delusional in, the, in doing this work. It's not delusional in the sense that you're trying to make bad things good or good things bad. It's, it's also not designed to be a biography of our lives, but rather a new and different way to interpret the facts, events, and experiences from our past that allow us to make better sense of them. Remember what I said earlier that our past experiences or memories are reconstructions that allow us to make sense of them. And in many ways they can be both faulty and embellished. And doing this work gives us the opportunity to find greater meaning and purpose in our lives. I mean, ultimately that's what we want anyway. And living in the dysfunction of pain, uh, past pain or trauma, it just ultimately doesn't move us forward. It do certainly doesn't move us towards our ideal, our highest aim, and we need to have that highest aim. But if we emphasize the progress along the way rather than the gap between where we are today and our highest aim, it gives us a better shot of moving toward a mindset of lack, or excuse me, move from a mindset of lack toward a mindset of abundance. In, in the words of author Susan Stratham, I think I mispronounced her name, uh, Stratham, Stratham. In the words of Susan Stratham, this is a beautiful quote. She says, your life is a story. Write it well, edit often. Duly noted, Susan. That's a really, really powerful sentiment. Let me say that one more time. Your life is a story. Write it well, edit often. It's all food for thought, fellow questers. If you'd like to talk more about what you've heard in today's podcast, please visit thequestforlife.com and schedule a meeting with me. That's thequestnumber4life.com. I'd love to hear from you and help in any way I can. Otherwise, please consider passing this episode on to someone who might benefit. Thank you for joining the conversation.